thank you, everybody. All right, so um, again, my name is Garo uh, Akoglanian. I uh, first year fellow in, at USF Infectious Diseases. Uh, I chose this topic, like Dr. Ehler said, as it's a very fast, uh, quickly changing uh, uh, aspect of infectious diseases, very important, uh, a very important aspect of infectious diseases. And uh, without further ado, so uh, this is the outline of my talk. Uh, the goals, is, the goals are to discuss the importance of diagnostic tests in infectious diseases, uh, showcase different methods of identifying pathogens, and uh, just a quick also uh, outlook on the past, present, and the future in uh, infectious diseases diagnostics, and uh, uh, also shed some light on the appropriate testing and interpretation of some of the common tests in uh, infectious diseases. So. Why This is a booklet that was uh, um, published in January 2015 from the IDSA uh, with the title, Better, Better Tests, Better Care, Next, uh, The Promise of Next Generation Diagnostics. Why do we need better tests? What, what is the need? So number one probably cause would be uh, the dilemma in diagnosing infectious diseases. A lot of organisms cause similar symptoms, especially in very sick patients who are uh, septic and very uh, hypotensive and in need of a rapid diagnostic and early directed therapy, hence the need for rapid diagnostics, and which also plays a role and plugs in nicely with the stewardship and reducing resistance with early directed therapy and decreasing the need of empiric therapy when, when you are not sure of what the organism or the sensitivities are. And of course, uh, that translates to a reduction in costs and saving lives eventually. Uh, very simple slide, uh, this is not the topic, but the cost of infection out of the papers on the right, 2013 and two, uh, 2009, uh, the probably uh, most expensive thing here, or most valuable thing, would be the lives lost. And of course, you have your uh, direct medical costs for sepsis in ICUs is $10 billion, around that number a year. And 40% of all ICU expenses are basically on are, uh, septic, septic patient related. So to diagnose, the definition really repeats in different dictionaries, is to identify the nature of an illness or a problem by examining the symptoms. And here we have to like slow down a little bit to really look at the highlighted uh, uh, words here, examination of the symptoms. It doesn't say to order the right test, it doesn't say to order the right lab or the image, it really starts, diagnosis starts with examination of the symptoms and talking to the patient. Hence, why I, I just divided diagnostics and ID into two major groups. Uh, the first one is a syndrome identification, which is basically based on your history, your physical exam, the presentation, and then some of the supplemental labs, and something that is, which the, the syndrome identification is basically shared in all throughout medical specialties. What's unique in ID is that you have an organism. You have something other than your own pathology, pathophysiology playing a role, which fr from that arises the need for a, an identification test of this organism and sensitivity tests. Of course, there are a lot of uh, types of tests. Where some, some detect single organisms, some detect 
multiple organisms, and that's what we're going to talk about today. What is what what is a good test? So, a, re a reliable test is a good test, highly specific, highly sensitive, a fast and quick tests. You test. You can't order a test that has a week turnaround time for a very sick patient because you really are not going to. The patient is not going to benefit from that. Uh, complexity of the test. You have how available is it? Is it available in the place in the hospital you work in? Is it? Do you need equipments or expensive equipments? Do you need trained personnel to run these equipments? And of course, lastly, cost, which is also a big deal in healthcare. Um, also, another really, I think it's a special thing again in infectious diseases. This relationship between the laboratory and the clinician, the frontline and the 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 let's say the people who are doing the identification, the micro lab, the microbiologist. A very nice, uh, of course, the end, uh, end goal care, uh, end care, the goal is to maximize clinical value throughout connections, communications with the microbiology lab and to improve and optimize patient care. Uh, very quickly, I highlighted, this is from Mandel, from uh, chapter number 16, um, which has that title shows the microbiologist's responsibilities and the clinician's responsibilities. Uh, highlighted in the microbiology, uh, microbiology lab responsibilities is to, prov to provide a comp comprehensive test menu with uh, what is available and what's not. As opposed to that, the clinician has to know what are these tests, what to order these tests for, for and to choose what test is appropriate to what clinical presentation and what's not. Also provide turnaround times and uh, immediate notification for critical values, and of course, your antibiograms, which will uh, uh, provide a guide for your empiric therapy in a certain community. Um, again, there's another thing that was also uh, important, I felt, for the clinicians, for our responsibilities, to prioritize, prioritize test requests when you have a limited quantity. Most common scenario, CSF, they, we could obtain just five milliliters, we could obtain only one tube, et cetera. So you have to know what, what would be the highest yield of your tests. Um, as, since we're talking about diagnostics, always the gold standard in all, in all identification of, of pathogens is your culture. So basically it's the detection or seeing or detecting the organism. Uh, culture is the, historically the most common uh, way of getting that and pathology microscopy, a lot in parasites and different other organisms. Um, and just to shed a little light on blood culture, since it's a really common test, it's ordered by everybody, and it's, it's, it's a very important test to know. Uh, the minimum number is tw uh, two, uh, a set is basically the minimum, minimum number, two bottles, aerobic and anaerobic, and uh, you need a relatively large amount of blood for each set, so each uh, bottle takes, uh, it's recommended to have seven to 10 milliliters in each bottle. Why is that? Why, why do we need an increased uh, uh, amount of blood for the blood culture? Is that studies have proven that adding, for example, this study showed that each uh, additional milliliter increased your, your positive predictive value by three to 5%, the low inoculum of bacteria and sepsis, I didn't know this, I thought it would be higher than this, but it's a one colony forming uh, unit per milliliter or less. 
So increasing your specific sensitivity happens with increasing the number of uh, milliliters there. Um, also, this is a very nice study uh, in 2007 out of Duke, which they, uh, on the left side, they got uh, pa patients who had confirmed bloodstream infections with different organisms. They linked these numbers to the organisms. And for example, Staph aureus, all patients had four cultures. So how many cultures of these did they need? And what did increasing the number of sets, how did it affect the, specific, uh, the sensitivity? So Staph aureus, one culture, so basically uh, identified 93%. The addition of a second set, if the first one was negative, assuming, but they're all taken around the same uh, time period, uh, added to 97% uh, sensitivity, three cultures kind of close it at got all of them. And different organisms, as you can see, uh, they add different specificity. They saw that the end result was if you want to achieve more than 99% sensitivity, three or more blood cultures. So um, aside from cultures, what other identification or detection methods do we have? You have your microscopy, your antigen detection, and serology. Antigen detection and serology have the same basic concept. They use ELISA, enzyme-linked immunosorbent assay. And you have your nucleic acid-based testing, or PCR, polymerase chain reactions. And then the new, uh, not so new now, but the most recent one is the MALDI-TOF, which is a mass spectrometer. Um, as you can see up to the right, the table shows the turnaround time for each, uh, for each method. And uh, we're going to just showcase um, quickly those methods. Um, microscopy, the father of microbiology, I'm probably going to mispronounce his name, Levin Hoke or something, uh, 1674. I'm not going to tell his story, but very interesting. Uh, what's interesting is that he wasn't a scientist. He, was a, uh, uh, he had a drapery, they call it. He sold drapes and curtains. He looked uh, the main uh, reason why he got into microscope and lenses was to improve the quality of his curtains. So, and eventually he saw an organism. He called his fr doctor friend, De Graff, and he was like, come see for yourself. And then he called them animalcules or animalculum, which means tiny animals. So that's very interesting. Robert Hooke also uh, basically uh, he coined the word cell to use uh, basically saw it first in uh, tree bark. Uh, because of him, basically, we have our different stains. We have our different classification and identification of our bacteria, gram-positive, gram-negative. We have our right stain with different organisms. We have our Diehl-Nielsen with the acid fast staining for your mycobacteria and plasmodium, etc. Moving on to the antigen detection um, also detects antibodies, the same uh, concept as you can see to your right. If you have a capture antibody, you'll detect the specific antigen and vice versa. Um, as we uh, mentioned before, it's dependent on the ELISA method. It's rapid, minutes to hours. It is very inexpensive compared to other tests, and it's highly specific and sensitive. So uh, these are basically the organisms that are FDA approved to be tested by antigens. This is, again, from Mandel. And um, I'm just going to showcase just a few of those and talk about them. Most commonly used pneumococcal antigen 
uh, the test strip up, up to your uh, upper right, and then the sensitivity specificity. As you can see, it's more sensitive than your sputum culture, sputum gram stain, even your PCR. Um, detects the C polysaccharide antigen in the urine. Uh, sometimes, some cases have uh, reported false positives with uh, 23 valent uh, pneumococcal vaccine, but there were only very few cases. And false negatives with low levels of antigen, very early infection, etc. Um, how long does, does the pneumococcal urinary antigen stay positive in the urine? The uh, study showed that uh, the highest uh, number was less than six months, so five months, most people cleared that urinary antigen. So if you have another positive test six months and after, it's more likely a new infection than a, or recurrence rather than uh, persistent positivity. Uh, Legionella antigen, this is the test that's mostly coupled with the pneumococcal antigen test. It's, uh, again, rapid, cheap, uh, detects only the Legionella serogroup 1, pneumophila, pneumophila, uh, serogroup 1, 70% sensitive and approaches 100% specificity. So if you have a positive urinary antigen, you most likely have Legionnaire's, you most likely have Legionnaire's disease. Um, almost never doesn't have any false positives. Uh, false negatives, other serogroups, they, it, it, it's not, uh, are not detectable via that test. And if there's an early infection or the low antigen levels, now the last two you can mitigate by, uh, number one, they concentrate the urine to collect as much antigen as you can. And uh, it is recommended if you have highly clinical suspicion, after seven days of the onset of symptoms, if you have a Legionnaire's, it's going to be positive. So. If there's high suspicion, if there's an outbreak and the first test was negative and the symptoms are basically new, then it might be a false negative because this simply there's no antigen in the urine. Uh, there was a case, since we're saying there's no false positives, uh, of a pseudo-epidemic in Italy. I think it was in, oh, uh, in 2012 and 13, but then they uh, trace it back to faulty, uh, basically, cards that detect the antigen. Um, how long does the Legionella antigen stay positive? The number in the literature is 42 days. As you can see, uh, I don't know if it's very clear, a longer days of uh, detecting the antigen were uh, in mostly in renal transplant patients, uh, corticosteroids, etc., immunocompromised. Um, and uh, the third test that I will showcase here is the cryptococcal antigen. This is a serum test, uh, which I actually learned a little bit, which I'm going to share again with you about it. It's a dipstick t a test, simple, very cheap, 2 to $4 per test. Turnaround time, very quick, 10 minutes. Very uh, accurate, very specific, and sensitive. Uh, sometimes you have false positivity with uh, the capnocytopega trichosporon biglii. These two organisms give you a false positive. They're actually looked into diagnosing capnocytophaga quick, quicker than a culture uh, because it takes a longer time to culture and get an ID on this uh, organism with this cryptococcal antigen, but it, but it hasn't been validated. Um, sometimes wrong transport media, but this is mitigated by the microbiology uh, collection, sample collections. Um, very interesting. Um, uh, bits of information uh, from the CDC website. In countries with high prevalence of cryptococcal meningitis, they, uh, they, uh, they found out that you can have cryptococcal serum antigen positivity 
and to a median of 22 days before even the onset of symptoms of uh, cryptococcal meningitis. And um, so they actually suggested to have a reflex laboratory test driven screening strategy whenever you have a CD4 less than 100, reflexively you test for a cryptococcal antigen since it's a very uh, cheap test. So um, eventually, and after detecting a, a positivity, they treated this patient even if they were completely asymptomatic with high dose fluconazole. And that affected mortality in very, very significantly, as you can see, prevented uh, even emergence of the symptoms, especially that if you have cryptococcal meningitis and you were started on ART, probably that's not going to be really good. So, uh, and then they suggested this algorithm. Is this uh, applicable here in the U.S.? Probably not very low prevalence of cryptococcal meningitis. However, say you have a new patient, newly diagnosed uh, AIDS, and uh, having a minor headache, it is probably a good idea to just get a urine antigen since it's a very, very cheap test. And if it's positive, you save the patient's life. Um, next is our PCR, or polymerase chain reaction test. I'm not going to go into the details, but as you can see, it detects the DNA or genomic material uh, throughout these, this process that repeats itself uh, as a reaction heating with, with, a, with cycles. So, um, what are the advantages of this test? So very quick, very simple. You can directly put in your clinical sample. You don't need a culture. You don't need processing times. It's, it's very simple and easy to use. Uh, you can detect multiple pathogens at the same time. This could also be a disadvantage because if you don't target this pathogen, if it's not in the cartridge, if it doesn't have, if you don't have the primers for this specific DNA, you won't detect it. So you have to look for things to find them. And uh, syndromic testing, since you can test more than, uh, uh, more than one organism at the same time, which gave rise to the increasingly more common, commonly used respiratory viral panel, your GI stool pathogen panel, and your uh, meningitis panel recently. Um, very interesting, in one of the company's websites, you can create a custom PCR plate if you have the Velmare uh, machine, you can create up to 384 well PCR plate. I thought that was interesting. And of course, it's used in different areas in uh, uh, biology, in different uh, animals as well. An example of the stool antigen PCR panel, a, uh, the price of the, of the tests is on the right, three different uh, uh, companies. Uh, the list price per the instrument of the machine, average $40,000. The cartridges, cartridges, each one is about between eighty to one fifty-five dollars. They have a note down there that says that you may get a discount if you bulk order. So, so, so this is the film array. The left is the uh, 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 mechanism, which I'm not going to go into. Your cartridges in the right, and a pissed-off animalcule in the middle. Disadvantages of the multiplex panel. This is the multi-organism detection. It nothing comes without disadvantages. So number one, your cost. Sometimes you test organisms that the, all the 23 organisms or whatever, 18 organisms, you don't really need it in that specific patient, but you can't choose, pick and choose. It's a, it's a set. And then you have uh, sometimes uh, false negative results when you have two organisms with the similar uh, DNA structure. So 
one organism really uh, exhausts or um, uh, it takes uh, takes up the other organisms uh, the, uh, primers and you have a falsely negative and uh, some falsely positive uh, reactions due to uh, really uh, if you have multiple targets some of the, some of them is are really not the pathogen very common in GI uh, the GI stool uh, 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 panel where you have more than two or three even organisms so it's just detecting the DNA that's there sometimes it's a colonizer uh, last but not least is your multi multitof uh, mass spectrometer uh, it's a matrix assisted laser desorption ionization time of flight mass spectrometry simply it you just plug in your tissue and it vaporizes it ionizes it and sends it through the tube what you get is a mass spectrometer, just a plain sheet with some uh, peaks on it. So when, when you get this result, you compare it with your, to your right is your uh, mascot server. They have, basically you can do proteins, peptides, uh, sometimes even elements. You have a, a huge database, which you can access for free, but you have to get the Molotov, which is in 2013, it was 160,000 to 250,000. Yearly maintenance cost, it costs you about a biofilm array to just maintain, maintain it. And they say that it's, this cost is offset by the low region cost per identification, which is 10 to 50 cents. However, the advantage here is that you detect anything, basically. You, you, you just know that something is there. You don't have to target anything. However, really wasn't very, uh, the high price wasn't very practical here. Um, What's in the future for infectious disease diagnostics? Biosensors. This is not a new idea. This has been there for a long time. A glucose, home glucose uh, measuring uh, machine is a biosensor. An HbA1c home kit is a biosensor. What that does is that it, uh, um, they convert detection of a chemical structure to a plate, which is this little thing, and it sends a, uh, the, the machine transducer uh, converts this to a signal most likely electromagnetic goes to your phone and uh, or as you can see your laptop and it tells you okay I detected this this has been applied uh, with some they have a list of bacteria and viruses etc that that have, that uh, were actually done but still not uh, validated so um, the adv the uh, positive points about th these biosensors are the accessibility, point of care, you see a patient in a rural area, remote clinic, let me get a drop of this blood, just like a, a CBG test. Uh, low cost, and this would be probably amazing for epidemics and outbreaks because you are mobile and you're detecting basically whoever you need to investigate. Um, so these are the, the, the main um, ways to detect your pathogen. What about your syndrome, syndrome uh, identification? Um, you can use certain hints. You can't know the organisms, as we, as we discussed. You, of course, you got your history, your physical, your, you're honing in on the system or what's the problem. You have sometimes lab patterns that help you out. Um, your liver enzymes sometimes, your white blood cell count, your differential, eosinophilia, uh, neutrophilia, neutropenia, etc thrombocytopenia they're all it's it's 
like investigating and getting clues from each lab test to say, oh, this is more likely this, or you narrow down your differential. Uh, Procalcitonin as well, uh, being more and more used nowadays. Um, a lot of issues with procalcitonin, uh, low specificity, uh, high or probably both sensitivity and specificity are not extremely high, very helpful in sepsis and uh, lung uh, pathology. We still don't know why, what's the reason that bacterial infections cause an elevation in procalcitonin. There are theories, but there's really no real answer. I tried to look that up. So, um, and then last but not least uh, is your imaging. When do you need imaging? You have to assess the need. Do I really need a chest x-ray? Do I need a CT with and without contrast of this small hand cellulitis? Is it appropriate? And there's a very good resource that I'm going to share with you here uh, for that. And availability of the test in your uh, facility that you're working in. And then you, of course, have to consider your radiation toxicity, your contrast, your allergies, etc. So uh, this website here is from the American College of Radiology. These are a couple of examples. They have appropriate appropriateness scores for your images that you're going to need, free of course. Uh, they divide it into syndromes and the possible variants of each syndrome. So I just put in a couple of examples here. Um, for example, a suspected active TB case, or it says imaging of possible TB. You have variant number one is a suspected active TB. As you can see, it's rated 9 out of 10 to a, a, on the appropriateness uh, scale to order a chest X-ray. It's really not appropriate to order an MRI with and without IV contrast for this. Uh, of course, you have to uh, weigh in the radiation toxicity on the right. So it really helps. And it's not only infectious diseases, it's everything else. Um, again, positive PPD, very appropriate to order a chest X-ray, et cetera, et cetera. Another example is a very common scenario where we see that almost daily is acute non-localized abdominal pain, fever, and su suspected abscess. Very appropriate to order a CT with, uh, of the abdomen and pelvis with IV contrast, always with. If you can't, without is fine. Uh, uh, ultrasound is okay, as you can see. Uh, other tests, CT with and without is almost never needed, except for sometimes can some cancer diagnoses require this. So basically, um, reviewing everything, of course we can't uh, talk about all tests because we'll just be talking forever. Um, again, as William Osler said, listening to your patients, always your history and physical have been validated. This has been uh, proven through many studies. 70 to 80% of your diagnoses comes from this story and your physical examination. And that was it.